You're listening to episode 42 of the National Secular Society podcast presented by Emma Park. Northern Ireland has perhaps the most religiously segregated education system in the democratic world. Religious interests are heavily entrenched in the system. This has meant that efforts to create a more inclusive alternative have been painfully slow. However, last year, the government introduced its new decade, a new approach to restore devolution in Northern Ireland. As a result of this, an independent review has been launched that could recommend significant changes to the education system. In this episode, Alistair Lichton, the head of education at the National Secular Society, speaks to Sam Fitzsimmons and Matthew Milliken about the challenges facing education in Northern Ireland and the difficulties of making it more inclusive. Matthew is a researcher at the University of Ulster. He has worked on Transforming Education, a major series of papers that explores the roots of the religious control of schools in Northern Ireland and its ongoing impact on the children who are educated there. Sam works for the Integrated Education Fund, a charity that supports inclusive integrated education in Northern Ireland. I spoke to Sam earlier on episode 21 of the podcast, so this is his second appearance here. Matthew, uh, Sam, perhaps you could start by introducing yourselves to the audience. I'm Sam Fitzsimmons, Head of Communications at the Integrated Education Fund. The Integrated Education Fund is a charity set up to support the growth of integrated education in Northern Ireland. And uh, I'm Matthew Milliken. I'm a researcher at the School of Education at Ulster University. I'm attached to the UNESCO Centre and our principal aim is to investigate peace building and integration programmes both in Northern Ireland and around the world. Northern Ireland is often brought up as an example of the problems caused by segregated education. How fair do you feel that perception is? I I think it's more than a perception. Uh, In fact, some of the facts and statistics in relation to our education system is evidence that it is segregated. For example, uh, there are two main management systems in terms of school management. One is the controlled management sector and the other is the Catholic maintained sector. So I think that gives an indication of just in terms of the separation and division that happens within the classroom. But also you have the likes of the UNCRC report, which called for an end to the segregated education system in Northern Ireland. And even more recently in the new decade, new approach agreement, which was brought about the return of the Northern Ireland executive after a three year suspension. Uh, that document acknowledged the segregated nature of our education system. Yeah, the uh, the system that we have is essentially segregated root and branch. Sam talks uh, rightly about the levels of segregation between uh, the two school systems, the controlled system that's attended mainly by Protestant pupils and the maintained system that's attended almost exclusively by Catholic systems. Those two systems operate side by side. They're both 100% funded by the state. The boards of governors of those schools 
represent those communities. So a maintained school with Catholic pupils is also likely to have 100% Catholic Board of Governors. They're also likely to have 100% Catholic staff team, uh, teaching staff. Uh, Likewise, on the control side, they're likely to have uh, a board of governors that's uh, entirely Protestant and a teaching staff that is entirely Protestant. So it's the segregation of the system is deep and endemic. Changing tack slightly uh, for a moment, the Integrated Education Fund is a campaigning organisation, but you're more involved with, with directly supporting integrated schools than similar campaigns in the UK would. What unique perspectives and challenges does this bring, I would suppose, especially in today's climate? The challenge which that brings is that the government nor the Department of Education plan for integrated education. It's left the parents to establish an integrated school in their area, and that process can take up to three years. An example of the growing demand um, for integrated education is highlighted in a recent government report, which identified that there was 21% of pupils choosing an integrated post-primary college and they were turned away because of oversubscription. On top of that, last year there were eight parental ballots held on schools wishing to transform the integrated status. And and this, just to give you an example of the demand and support for it, those ballots were between 70 and 100% in favour of integrated education. So uh, until we have equity in terms of planning and parents and communities shaping the type of provision that they would like in their area, it's going to be remain a challenge to meet that demand and, and the, the growth that we need to see in integrated education. For example, like say in the the No More Faith Schools campaign, campaigns for there to be community schools and against faith schools, but we don't provide services for we're not any sort of service delivery or sectoral body for community schools so it's a very different thing in that case we have a sister organization called the northern Ireland council for integrated education which supports integrated schools in terms of ethos training and curriculum development within integrated schools the integrated education fund as a charity really helps with financial support to schools. For example, if they need a a new classroom to help with expansion, the IEF would would, would help uh, support the school develop that. Equally, if the school needs some financial support to bring in uh, a teacher, again, we've, we've helped schools in the past do that. But in terms of actual delivery of service to those schools, we we very much are uh, just supporting parents and existing schools to grow uh, and develop. So that's the type of role that we play. Our sister organization, NICE, is much more involved in the day-to-day operational issues that happen within integrated schools. Our campaigning work is very much about... um, a conduit for parents uh, who want to see more integrated provision. Um, And I suppose that's a role that we fill. And that is supported 
by evidence-based advocacy, and it's why we work with academic institutions like Ulster University to develop that um, that, that evidence-based in December, there was the announcement of the terms of reference for the independent review on education, which you mentioned earlier. Could you just give us a bit more context on what is the purpose of this review and what is it expected to cover? Okay, um, there'll be three strands to the review. Uh, the first strand will look at the education journey and outcomes for children. That'll look at early years, including childcare, preschool the transition and transfer of children from primary to post-primary. And I'll also look at special educational needs and disabilities and pathways. Strand two uh, will review the funding arrangements within our schools and the governing processes. And part of that will also include initial teacher training or initial teacher education. And I'm sure Matt will be able to expand more on that. And strand three, which will review the school management type uh, and the impact of the current structures. And that, that should include duplication, segregation, and fragmentation of the current system. Uh, we, we are, uh, as an organisation, we have been campaigning for an independent review of our education system for a number of years. And we were absolutely delighted that that was a commitment within the new decade, new approach. Uh, and more so, we're, we're incredibly encouraged by the scope of the terms of reference of this. I'm sure Matt will be able to expand a little bit more on, on some of this. I think the uh, the New Decade New Approach document was brought into being as a way of bringing the local assembly uh, back to sitting after a three-year hiatus. And writ large in that was trying to find new ways of cooperating new ways of, of the two communities, the Protestant community and the Catholic community, working together. The division that we have uh, in Northern Ireland is costly. When you have to have two of everything in every location, it does uh, add a considerable burden to the public purse. And the New Decade, New Approach uh, document stated very clearly that uh, th this ongoing division isn't sustainable. I think in the legacy of COVID, uh, we can also expect that there will be massive public debt and that there will need to be savings made in public services. The way we deliver our education system with uh, essentially two of everything uh, is uh, is not sustainable and it has to be uh, a key area within which savings can be made. The uh, panel is to be recruited in March, April, and they will then be looking at the ways of revising our education system to make it more sustainable. They're going to have to go through some significant hurdles in terms of getting through uh, vested interests, challenging accepted ways of doing things. Uh, but uh, it, sh it shows uh, an interesting potential, uh, but it's going to have to be really quite radical if it's going to, A, save money, and B, change the system in the way that it needs to be. Uh, perhaps maybe I just add a little bit to that. Uh, Matt highlighted the cost of duplication. And some of the 
outcomes of that duplication is that we have, and these are the department's figures, around 50,000 empty school desks across the school estate and that the cost of duplication in schools alone is around 95 million per annum. Again, these are these are figures that um, uh, come from academia. And it's it, it's mind-boggling to think that we have spent over one billion pound over the last ten years bringing our young people into contact with each other in various cross-community initiatives, substantially to correct the negative consequences and prejudices resulting from their initial segregation in school. This is something we we we, we, see, we see across the UK. So, for example, in England, school, uh, faith school proposals are, sp- are supposed to put forward proposals about how they will encourage pupils from different backgrounds to meet pupils from other schools. Whereas, if they were just in school together, that would all be much more efficient. Uh, as Sam has already alluded to, there's a significant scheme uh, operating in Northern Ireland for schools called shared education, uh, which has taken large sums of money, uh, 10 million some, is that what you mentioned? Well, certainly in shared education, um, the, 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 the costs would be, I think, over the last number of years, uh, closer to um, between 50 and 100 million. So, I mean, significant monies from outside, uh, from philanthropy, from the government, uh, from taxpayers, obviously, then. Uh, and that's to try to address the legacy of the system that uh, that is uh, that the government's already propping up. Uh, we're in an English town. If kids are going to a Catholic school or a, a Protestant school, those kids are probably living side by side with each other. They potentially go to the same scout troop or play on the same soccer team. That isn't the case in Northern Ireland. The communities in Northern Ireland remain deeply divided. Uh, In urban areas, the demarcation of Catholic communities and Protestant communities is written on the wall. It's written on the curbstones. You can see from tattered flags flying on lampposts, whether you're in a Catholic community or a Protestant community. Kids that grow up 10, 15 yards from each other the distance between them may be demarcated by a five-metre-high wall. Those children never get to meet. So they, they live in, in, uh, in an environment where they only ever encounter children from the same background. They only ever play with children from the same background. They celebrate different events. They uh, have different holidays in, in a lot of things. And they uh, they even play different sports uh, in those separate schools. Although they follow a national curriculum, there's a different focus. So, in a Catholic school, you learn Irish. In a state school, you won't. Uh, in a state school, you may learn history from a particularly uh, British perspective. In a Catholic school, you'll learn it from an Irish perspective. We wanted to give the audience an overview of the issues in Northern Ireland education, and I thought that I'd use the Transforming Education series as a framework. Matthew, could you start by just introducing the series, uh, what it is and what it aims to do? 
The Transforming Education project uh, is uh, a research project run through the UNESCO Centre at the School of Education in Ulster University, which aims to highlight the areas of uh, segregation in our system, uh, the factors that underpin those and how those uh, affect the way that we educate our children. Uh, so uh, over the last 18 months, the project has examined such things as the way we employ teachers, uh, the laws that govern teachers, the ways in which teachers are not protected from fair employment in the way that uh, other professions, other employer, uh, employees can expect to be. We looked at uh, religion in schools, how uh, the curriculum has uh, a very clear Christian uh, orientation, how that's directed by four mainstream uh, churches. So uh, the Transforming Education Programme uh, project is aiming to, uh, to influence three audiences. Uh, first of all, we're looking to talk to parents, to communities, to those who have an interest in education by making sure that the, that the research we're doing is highlighted in the media highlighted in local radio and television, covered in the newspapers, that the issues of segregation and education become a, a talking point, that they're not just assumed, uh, that it's not just that's the way we've always done it, that they really are uh, matters that can be talked about if we still had uh, water coolers, but they could be talked around the water cooler or the virtual water cooler now. The other audience then are the decision makers themselves, the policy makers, the, uh, the, the stakeholders in education, the education authorities, the councils for uh, maintained schools, etc, etc. Uh, and the third audience are other academics, people who are, uh, are looking to uh, engage with with education, with the issues of education in Northern Ireland. So they've been written for a non-academic audience. They have also included infographics, trying to get across the message simply and in a straightforward way, even though they are sometimes quite deeply theoretical and deeply academic, and there are a range of academic papers also being published in uh, academic journals, there's one just out today in the Oxford Review of Education, that support the depth of the work that we're doing. Yes, yeah, so I, I just want to say, of the, of the papers, one, some of the things I really appreciate them about them is that they are they are very accessible and also the that they give that historical context to, the, so, so obviously they, they are about very, very current issues but they do set that in the in the longer historical uh, context yeah welcome to northern ireland we have very long memories yeah yes <laughs> what, what, one of the things i mean the ief is one of a number of funders who are supporting this initiative and uh one of the the, the things that attracted us to it was the fact of taking academic research and making it more accessible more consumable for a wider audience because there is so much research out there that 
that doesn't get the uh, awareness that we felt that, that this was a, a unique initiative. And, you know, following on from, I think you're up to your eighth um, topic in the, these research papers, Matt, uh, and each of them have generated significant media and political interest. And to the point where I, I know that we have been engaging in some roundtable discussions uh, with with the main parties, and they, they they are helping to influence and inform uh, policy within political parties. That's just to give one of the reasons why the IEF have been keen to partner uh, Ulster University in this this project and this initiative. In the first paper in the series and uh, revisited elsewhere, you talk about the issues with teacher mobility. Just briefly, why do teachers not tend to cross religious lines and what can be done about that? There are three main factors involved in this. Uh, It's the lack of crossing uh, religious lines is most evident in primary school and least evident in the uh, more elite grammar school sectors. In a primary school, uh, in a Catholic primary school, teachers are required to have undertaken a specific additional qualification in order to prepare uh, pupils for Catholic sacraments. That certificate has been offered traditionally, to all students who have undertaken their training in St. Mary's University College, which is the teaching college that serves the maintained sector. That course has not been available, easily available rather, to students who attend Stranmillis University College, which is the, the college that prepares teachers for working in the controlled sector in the state schools. So there are two fundamental issues to begin with. That is the certificate and the separation of teaching institutions between the two sides. There is then a third factor, and that is that teachers are exempted from fair employment legislation. Unlike any other firm that employs uh, 10 people or more in Northern Ireland, Schools are perfectly legally allowed to discriminate between job applicants on the basis of their faith. They can say, we don't want you to teach in our school because you're a Protestant, or we don't want you to teach in our school because you're a Catholic. In effect, it's rarely called on. Even when you speak to teachers, they don't always know that they could apply for a job on the other side, uh, but they choose not to. They seem to uh, want to pursue a career on the familiar side. As I've already uh, described, communities grow up very, very separated from each other. And there's a degree of fear in crossing into the other side. There's a degree of hesitancy. There's a degree of uncertainty. There's a degree of facing the unknown. People prefer to stay where it's safe and teachers perhaps particularly so. 
Uh, Matt, I just if I, we could cut in here a second. One of the things that um, the f- terms that you identified within that report was cultural encapsulation. Yes. Uh, and I, I, I think perhaps maybe if you were able to expand a little bit on, on that, uh, it could perhaps maybe give some indication of the life's journey of a teacher in, in Northern Ireland. Sure. The, a high proportion of, uh, of teachers have a, a life journey that is culturally encapsulated. By that, I mean they are born into one side of the community, either a Catholic household, Catholic community, or a Protestant household and community. They, from there, they go to a school of the same community. From there, they go to a post-primary school within the same community. From there, they then choose to go to to become a teacher. And they enter a teaching college associated with their community identity. Whilst at that college, they undertake teaching practice in schools associated with their own community. And they come out from teaching college and go into a school from their own community. They have never experienced at any significant level the education system that is on the other side. They have been culturally encapsulated. These are the teachers that we are asking to engage in joint community activities. These are the people that we as a society expect to bring our children together. Yet. The plumber who comes to fix the toilet in the school is more likely to have sat alongside pupils of the other community while they've been learning their trade in a technical college than the teacher who is leading the shared education programme between the Catholic and Protestant schools. The second paper in the series calls into question the religious influence on the curriculum and the ethos of schools. I'm particularly interested in religious education. So how is education about religion and belief currently delivered in schools and how pluralistic is it? (laughs) Pluralistic. The the curriculum for for religious education is constructed not by educationalists, but by representatives of churches. The Catholic Church, the Presbyterian Church, the Church of Ireland, the Methodist Church. And the, uh, the entire curriculum is, is developed by, by, uh, by those churches. Because it's been developed by clerics, it is not inspected by educationalists. It is only inspected by clerics. So the, uh, the churches set the curriculum in the state system and they inspect the system and its delivery in the state system. In addition, every school of uh, either a state school or a maintained school, or for that matter, an integrated school, are required to start each day with an act of Christian worship. So uh, in addition, on top of that, each school, their board of governors, has uh, representatives from the churches. So 
religion is uh, once again root and branch throughout uh, the entire education system. In terms of pluralism, there are optional elements to study world religions. They're seen uh, in the language of the curriculum not as being uh, uh, religions located within Northern Ireland, but from somewhere outside Northern Ireland. They, uh, they're world religions, not our religion. And when you say that that's, that's uh, an option, is that an option for pupils or an option for the schools? Where is that it's decision made? It's an option for post-primary uh, students. It's the uh, Board of Governors that ultimately decide uh, and put the rubber stamp on the uh, on the religious education that takes place in the school. So theoretically, it's possible that the Board of Governors would decide that that wasn't appropriate for that school. A topic that I've seen a lot of interest in is the inefficiencies in Northern Ireland's separate school system. I think the point that uh, Sam made earlier about those 50,000 empty school places is just astonishing and, and, and something that a lot of people maybe outside of Ireland don't fully grasp. I think that's really vividly illustrated in the third paper in the series, which was on isolated pairs. So I wonder if you could just explain what isolated pairs are and more broadly, why do separate schools create these particular problems? For those that don't know Northern Ireland, if you drive through almost any village uh, outside the urban areas of Belfast and Derry, almost every rural village will have uh, a primary school. Most will actually have two primary schools. One serves Catholic community, and the other serves the Protestant community. Quite often, neither of those schools, because of declining populations, because of changing demography, neither of those schools are, uh, are sustainable. There are empty desks in both schools. Yet the mechanisms for those schools to come together to function as one single school aren't in place. The vested interests are protected and the system simply doesn't allow for those two schools easily to merge into one sustainable uh, institution. And if I could just add to that as well, um, they're, they're in terms of the planning authorities, uh, when it comes to uh, planning the schools, the state will uh, make decisions on a school-by-school school case without truly engaging with the wider community uh, in those rural villages where you may have two schools that are less than a mile apart uh, and where, where the school or the wider community would like to see a single school retained in the village. There isn't, again, a mechanism uh, in place for consulting with the wider community. The, the planning authorities may consult with each school um, separately, but uh, as a community collective, it doesn't happen. And I have to say, just we're, we, we again, it's another uh, initiative that we're developing with Ulster University called the Future Schools Initiative, which is trying to create a resource and a pathway to make it easier for communities and school communities to come together to look for a single school solution. We're engaging with the two planning authorities 
the Catholic Maintain Managing Authority and the Education Authority that looks specifically for the uh, control sector. And we're trying to work with them to establish a mechanism that would, one, engage with the local community and two, uh, create a more accelerated process where school communities could develop a single school solution. There are other parts of the UK that have similar demographic issues. So parts, particularly in Wales and in some areas of Scotland, where you effectively might have within a set of villages, three schools that really need to be amalgamated down to two schools or more than two, two down to one. And in those cases, problems can be caused because if you're amalgamating denominational and non-denominational schools, but this would effectively be trying to amalgamate two different denominational schools with their own denominational sector bodies. Yeah, uh, that's that's essentially it. Uh, you, you mentioned a while ago about uh, history. Originally, the school uh, the schools were managed by religious bodies, uh, both on the Catholic side and on the state side. In the early 1920s, after the partition. The Protestant schools, or the schools that were managed by Protestant authorities, agreed to come on board into the state system. And in return, they were guaranteed places within the management of both the schools and the education system per se. Uh, the Catholic authorities feared the, uh, the dominance of the, uh, of the Unionist, the Protestant side, and they opted to remain uh, at arm's length from the, from the state system. So although the state system, the control system, the state control system is not officially a denominational system, it does have embedded within it the vested interests of the, Catholic, the Presbyterian Church, the Church of Ireland Church, and the Methodist Church. The Methodist Church at the last, um, at the last census accounted for, I think it was something like less than 1% of the population of Northern Ireland. About a quarter to a third of the population of Northern Ireland identify as not belonging to any of the four religions that, uh, that run our school system. Yet there are, yet any school that exists to get state funding has to conform with the uh, the requirements of religious education and uh, religious representation and the ch- school assemblies. I hope that uh, listeners anywhere in the UK will, will be seeing here the interesting similarities and differences between the four national education systems that we have there. Uh, that brings us actually quite nicely on to the last paper that I wanted to ask about specifically, and that was the paper on governance. So what are the specific challenges that are caused by uh, this replication and the need to have basically separate governance structures? And how would a more integrated system address them? So would you have one local uh, governance system or school by school or some sort of hierarchy? How would that work if it was fully integrated? Perhaps maybe I could give just a perspective from from the IEF on this. I think what we need is a model of governance which reflects wider society in Northern Ireland. Uh, Matt touched on the four main churches and 
the obligation that they have a representative in each board of the uh, control schools. Yet uh, the demographic shifts in Northern Ireland would suggest that uh, what we really need is is to focus on a fully representative uh, board of governors that reflect Northern Ireland society. And I think that would be one way of moving towards a more inclusive and integrated system and would open up uh, a whole host of opportunities for every school. Um, we've not covered every paper in the series in, in detail, obviously. Uh, it's, 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 it's very substantial, but it sounds like these are all important issues that should be covered in the independent review. There were a couple of other issues that I want. I think our audience be interested in that I wanted to ask about. We've already touched on it, but I wonder if you could tell us what the state of the collective worship requirement is in Northern Ireland schools, and also about sex and relationships education and how well that's provided for in schools and how, well, how much that differs across the school types. If I give a, a quick overview, um, essentially, as I said, by law, Every school must include a daily act of Christian worship in their routine. The extent to which that is strictly observed is, in some instances, questionable. Certainly on the Catholic side, all schools are actively connected with their with the church. They, there are school masses. There are, uh, in primary school, they're prepared for the sacraments. Um, a lot of grammar schools and uh, post-primary schools have a, a chapel within the, within the uh, body of the school. There are priests on management committees, just as there are um, ministers and clerics on, uh, on the state side. So the, the observation of the, the act of worship does vary. Uh, some schools it's it's uh, central to the running of the day. Some schools it's peripheral, uh, and I think it's fair to say that in the uh, that the state controlled sectors are less overtly denominationally Christian than uh, than the Catholic schools. In terms of uh, the sex education. Frankly, that isn't an area of research that uh, that I'm involved with, but there are one could reasonably expect that, given the uh, morality that is incumbent within each of those faiths, that that would be reflected uh, in the teaching of that school. So the the governing body has a duty to ensure that the RSE curriculum is in. A- in accordance with the ethos of the school. Would you have an idea of how much that impacts the teaching within different school types? It would be very difficult for me to um, to give you anything other than anecdotal evidence. I used to be a youth worker and there was a Catholic school in my patch and the principal was more liberal than the staff around him. And I, as a youth worker, was invited in to provide relationships education that wouldn't have been permitted otherwise. I was told very discreetly that I had to mention the the attitudes of the Catholic Church towards contraception. 
And then the uh, the principal winked at me and told me, but once they know that, you tell them what you need to. So that took place a number of years ago, but I would still say that uh, the connection between religious ethos and uh, sex, sexuality, relationships, education is still very much there. Would that would that fall under any other strands in review of pupils' experience? In terms of the review, yeah, I, I, I'm sure that uh, elements of the curriculum will be explored uh, um, where that sets sits within the final recommendations of that report. Uh, would be would be hard to judge at this stage because the 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 role of the churches uh, within our education system uh, run deep, and I'm sure that when it comes to sex education, uh, there will be some fairly powerful voices trying to maintain a conservative and traditional traditional approach to how sex education is delivered in our in our schools. So if listeners either wanted to learn more or to actively support a more integrated education system in Northern Ireland, what would be the best way for them to get involved? Uh, they can visit the IEF website, www.ief.org.uk, where they can find out more about integrated education. Uh, or they can visit the resources page on our website where we have made available a large body of academic research on the Northern Ireland education system. And of course, because we're a charity, um, we have a donations page on our website as well. Uh, Sam and Matthew, thank you so much for your time. You're more than welcome. Thank you, thank you Alistair, for uh, your interest in, in this issue of segregated education in Northern Ireland. This episode was produced by the National Secular Society, all rights reserved. The views expressed by contributors do not necessarily represent those of the NSS. You can access the show notes and subscriber information for this and all our episodes at secularism.org.uk forward slash podcast. For feedback, comments and suggestions, please email podcast at secularism.org.uk. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a positive review wherever you can. Thanks for listening and I hope you can join us next time.